0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist for, I don't know, 25 years, and my kid's dentist too. He's an expert on Invisalign and uses that technology to improve his patients' smiles and positioning. He does it so well, in fact, that Eddie now travels all over the country and even internationally to teach other dentists how to use Invisalign. So, I like him. And I'm glad he's sponsoring the show. To learn more, visit SheminDental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. And this episode was recorded at the Union Hall Workspace on Donovan Circle. It's a co-working space for freelancers, entrepreneurs, and other mobile workers. Their enclosed meeting space is one of my favorite places to meet guests and record episodes. You can schedule a tour or look into their pricing options at unionhalltx.com. Today's guest is Mercy Mergia, and I'm sure I'm butchering her last name, which for some reason is really hard for me to say. But anyway, Mercy is young and incredibly accomplished. She has an MBA from West Texas A&M, and she works full-time as a healthcare software consultant. Mercy was appointed Potter County Commissioner in 2011, and then she was reelected in 2018. She represents Precinct Two, which lies entirely within the east and northeast part of Amarillo. Now, Mercy is a prior member of the Board of Directors for the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and a current member of the Board of Texas Leadership Women and the National Association of Latino Elected Officials. So, we talk about her entry into politics the difference between a county commissioner and a city council member, and her vision for her precinct. So here's Mercy Merguia. Mercy Merguia, welcome to the Hey podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. My first podcast.
0: Well, uh, I'm I'm honored that this is your first podcast. (laughs) I I hope it's one of many more to come. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I want to talk about uh, definitely your role as a county commissioner. I want to talk about your career. But before we get to any of that stuff, Tell me how you ended up in this area in the first place. Born and raised. Okay.
1: So I'm born and raised um, in Amarillo, Texas, and actually where I'm elected to serve, which is precinct two. So county commissioners are elected in precincts or districts, as some people like to call them, but I'm born and raised in my precinct.
0: Okay. What is your precinct? uh, What part of town is it covered? So
1: predominantly East Amarillo and Northeast Amarillo. What I think is unique about my role as a county commissioner that maybe not everyone knows is that 100% of my precinct is in the city proper. So a lot of times people think of county commissioner and we think of Uh fire. Trucks Huge trucks of roads space. and land. And, and obviously those are things that I work on and advocate for. But 100% of my precinct is in Amarillo proper. So I work with your city council very closely. I'm watching what they're doing very closely. And some kind of fun facts about the precinct are the old and the new baseball stadium are in my precinct. The top three big downtown projects, your parking garage, your baseball stadium, um, your hotel, that's all in my precinct as well. And um, tiers one and tiers two, which you may not know what that is, but I'll describe that Tax in investment.
0: increment reinvestment yeah.
1: zone. There you go. Um, they're both in the precinct as well. So so um, it starts
0: like around downtown, around downtown, and moves yes. to the east. Yes.
1: Uh-huh. And so I think that's a fun fact that maybe not everyone knows. So.
0: so you grew up here. Did what schools did you go to?
1: So I went to Sanborn Elementary, I went to Bowie Middle School, I went to Caprock High School, go horns, and then I went to AC. And WT. And I finished WT with my graduate work. So I graduated with a master's in business and I concentrated on finance and management.
0: So after you went to AC and WT, did you intend to stay here in this area? Did you have dreams of Moving away to a big city. What what were your goals?
1: Um, I think I always intended to stay here. I'm very passionate about the community. And I'll share some of that in my story today of kind of what led me to that. But I always felt a responsibility to serve. So a lot of times people will say, Well, do you like it? How is it? And I always say, There's some hard days and there's some really good days, but more than anything, I feel absolutely a responsibility to serve. And part of that, I'm sure, is my story that I'll share with you today. But I I had intentions of staying. All my family is here. And yeah, I've, I always knew I would probably stay in Amarillo.
0: When you got your degree, what was the immediate goal after that? A job. <laughs> okay. were, were you looking at a particular industry with yeah. a business degree? Or, yeah, or so
1: I'm in healthcare. A, lo- a lot of people don't know that. I work full time outside of politics. So I'm in technology. I work for a company out of Seattle, but I started at Northwest as a 17 year old in high school, and I would register patients. And so my professional life has always been in healthcare. Um, advocating for patients uh, without insurance. I've seen what that looks like in the ER and patients being turned away with chronically cir- chronically ill, I'm sorry, being turned away. And so I've seen the direct impact of that b- at a very young age. So it certainly has had an impression on me, but I've been in healthcare um, my whole professional life outside of politics.
0: How many years did you work uh, professionally, before the county commissioner.
1: So, I've been a county commissioner now seven years. Okay. So, the majority of my life, and and still is, is is really in healthcare. I did not have ambitions for a county commissioner, and I'll share that with you today.
0: Well, let's I mean, let's talk about that. Okay. Let's go ahead and get get to that story <laughs> because I I know you know your story is well. I, I guess like a lot of people who find themselves in politics. And it's a story that politicians like to tell. I I didn't want to do this. I was successful in the private sector. This is something that just happened. But I mean that honestly is your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I and and even the word I think politics itself has just a negative connotation to it. I, I really um probably one of the most difficult things for me when I was elected is all of a sudden you're at a table where people address you as commissioner. When you start talking, people stop talking. That's not a an organic way I feel like to lead, right? Um, it's not a heavy hand kind of approach. I I really am much more collaborative in nature, and so more than anything, out of the gate, I would always say, my name is Mercy, right? Like I, you don't, I never want to be affiliated with a title because we will change, we will evolve, and so the story of County Commissioner is really something that that found me. Um, I was working and, and still am, and my predecessor was the longest-serving county commissioner in the city, Commissioner Manny Perez, and so he became ill unexpectedly, and so the search was was on, but quietly, certainly out of respect for him, his health was declining, and um, I knew of Manny, but I didn't know him as a person. I was certainly in my 30s and working professionally and doing what we all do, right? You're busy being busy. Uh, he became ill. And so people started to ask. And, and based on the way county commissioners are elected, again, you have to live in that precinct. So I actually got a phone call from a woman I had worked with at a nonprofit on a Friday. I was at a barbecue at my mom's. And and you know, you're just answering your phone like you normally do. And I had a mentor call and say, have you ever considered being a county commissioner? And especially as a mom of two, uh, I think what we all think no way. Who has time? Absolutely not. I can't add that to my plate. What do they do? Um, how effective are they really? You know, I'm a big believer. Time is one of the most precious resources, and so I'm always very selective of of what you allow on your plate, right? But I'm not good about saying no, so I deal with all the same things. Everybody listening probably does as well. So uh, she said, a group of people want to meet you on Saturday at Denny's, and I went. Okay, so I brought a resume, even though I wasn't applying for a yeah. job, it just felt like what felt like what you do. And so um, I had a small group say, tell me a little bit about yourself, tell me about your story. And I didn't know any of the people around the table, and I just told the story I'll share with you today, and um, they said, you need to put your name in the hat. I still, to this day, um, don't ever remember saying, yeah, I think I'll do that. <laughs> but there were 11 of us, I put my name in the hat. I did um, what I thought I should be doing. I should be researching. I should be prepping. I should be really peeling back the layers behind the title and this affiliation of what we think of, oh, an elected official, what are some of the things you can really do to move the needle? And as I started to peel back the layers, to be very honest with you, I had more questions um, than anything. I felt frustration, and that is when probably this overwhelming sense of responsibility of I have to serve so many people have poured into my life Um, i'm a first gen high school college graduate everything you kind of read right i'm i'm that and and felt a responsibility for people that invested in me and i thought how can i have such a passion for my community and not be willing to step up i dealt with all the things we all deal with i don't look the part right i'm i was in my 30s early 30s when i decided to do this and um, dealt with a lot of those dynamics but I put my name in 11 of us running because uh, we had to be appointed before elected right it was an it was,
0: unfilled in, seat yes yes how, I mean how much time was left before um,
1: the two, there was two years, two years. yeah okay. so um yeah so I uh I put my name in and went to an interview almost a little like this minus the microphones right and uh told my story and and I actually used the whole time, I almost said eighty percent of the time, but I think I use the whole time asking questions mm-hmm. and saying, "Why do you do this? And what what do you spend money on this for?" And so I did what all moms do. Then I leave an interview for county commissioner and I take my kids to the dentist. Well, <laughs> so you flip hats, go to the dentist office. There's no motorcade. There's, or yeah, like there's that. yeah, yeah. It's like back to normal, right? So I go to the dentist, and I'll never forget it. I got the phone call and said, you're it. Be there tomorrow.
0: That quickly? It was
1: the afternoon, yeah. So the the interview was in the morning, and then the afternoon I got the call. Be there in the morning. All the media will be there. And I speak um, often in my professional career, too, but I will never get used to the mics and the uh, lights. Mm -hmm. And I always say, it's the one job people want to see you mess up. (laughs) and Say, oh, no, did she say that? So. Anyway, all that to say, I grabbed at the dentist office, I grabbed one of those real estate books, you know, that are always, because I didn't even have a pen and paper, and all of it, I have the one phone on my shoulder and the other asking for a pen from the secretary saying, and I'm writing down all these people I need to call and numbers, and I actually kept that real estate book, and I remember at the dentist office sitting down, my daughter was probably two at the time. And my son was eight or nine at the time. And I'm looking at both of them going, oh, my, our life will be completely different.
0: What do you think that initial group that approached you, uh, did you ever get a sense from them why they identified you as as a good candidate, as someone they wanted to see, you know, put their name in the hat?
1: Well, I like to think it's because I've always been actively engaged in the community. And so one of the things... That I got questions right right out of the gate is, oh my goodness, you're I see you everywhere. And and I always say, Well, I was there before you maybe just didn't know I was mm-hmm. in the room, right? So I think more than anything, hopefully it's because I've always been actively engaged because I do believe in a lot of the initiatives that we'll talk about today. And I did that before I was a county commissioner, and quite honestly, I'll do it after I'm a county commissioner because they really are authentic to my true self. So I think, I would like to think it's that, is being involved um, in the community and really uh, being very honest with what I see and not having any political ties to anything. I don't own any land during my elected uh, tenure. I remember turning away money, not because I didn't need the money during the campaign. I just remember, and this is what I said, is I would hate for anyone to look at my finances and feel like my vote was swayed one way versus the other. So I've always been extremely mindful of what that perception might look like on the inside because I think I've been on the other end, right? So I'd like to think that um, I would give people a voice and I wouldn't be afraid by the layers of politics and then being involved in the community.
0: At what point, you know, filling the, the remaining two years of Manny Perez's term, at what point did you think, okay... I'm going to try to actually get elected for the next term. When did you think, all right, this is, I'm going to do more than just be this fill in?
1: Oh, I knew that before I went in for the really? interview. So you mm-hmm. thought
0: if they choose me, then. Yeah, and actually,
1: honestly, in. I, in the interview, I said, whether you choose me or not is irrelevant. I'll be running. Okay. So, uh, that, you know, what, that's part of the point of uh, why I went in with so many questions because as I started to peel back these layers, I ended up with more questions than answers, which is what I think we should be doing often as leaders, right? I think sometimes we think. We're in the room to answer questions, and I I have found that people around you know the answers, right? You're you're really there to sometimes ask the hard questions that no one is at liberty to ask, right? Maybe that maybe there's superiors in the room, maybe they really know how things go are, are going on. So I think a lot of our role is really asking the hard questions and um, being able to stand up for people.
0: I know there's a number of things that you're passionate about yeah. and that are a big part of of your service, but before we get to that point. I have a sense, and, and maybe this is just me personally, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what the city council does mm-hmm. because there's been a lot in the media, not always positive given some of the dysfunction from several years ago, but but we hear from the city council pretty regularly. County commissioners, even I have less of an idea of mm-hmm. what they do and mm-hmm. and what are they responsible for. So tell me what your role is and, and why it's important. Even working within a city that has its own government and all that
1: Yeah, kind of thing. So I think what makes Amarillo unique is we're a city divided by two counties. So you have two sets of county commissioners. You've got Potter and Randall. You've got your city council. You've got your school board. And even within your school board, there's several layers of school board because right. you've got several school districts in Amarillo. So um, a county commissioner is primarily in charge of the budget. That is our one duty legally right by the constitution we still operate off of an 1876 constitution so um
0: which predates even (laughs) yeah
1: so with that it comes some unique challenges so when you think about county government well let me back up when you think about your city government you've got your city manager and you've got your mayor Right. When you think about an organization, you've got your CEO and you've got your C-level suites of CFO, COO, you know, so you have your your layers, your hierarchy, right? In county government, no such thing exists, right? You've got your county judge, but in Texas, you don't have to be an attorney to be a county judge. Right, um, You've got your justice of the peace who are coroners, but you don't have to have a medical background to proclaim someone dead, right? You go to continuing ed classes, So Texas in itself is a very unique structure in county government. So all that to say, um, your county judge obviously presides over the commissioner's court. So there are four of us. We're elected in precincts and you have a county judge. So we're made up of a body of five. Our primary role is the budget, is to pass the budget. And so we have roughly a $64 million budget. And so that is our primary function. After that, I always tell people, your uh, your county commissioners can be as involved or uninvolved as you allow as a voter. So I, I think what's very hard when we have um, conversations is the lack of voters. That is not unique to Amarillo. That is uh, Texas. That is a state problem. Right. And I have so much pride in my state. And there's so many things we do great. Voting is not one of them, right? right. We're on the very end of the spectrum. Some of that, in my opinion, is by design. And so I, when I think about, you know, I'm not kind of too surprised that a lot of people don't know what their role is because there's not active, you know, kind of engagement. And we don't aggressively seek out what I call the funnel, the bench. Who are the next people to run for office? Um, and I go back to never being tied to the title because I think good leaders weed themselves out, right? Like that is a good leader is helping to identify the ones coming after and set the stage so that when it's time you're to go, you indeed do that and you make room and you welcome in other people. So to answer your question, the primary role of a county commissioner is the budget, is passing the budget. We meet twice a month, the second and fourth Monday of the month. And we have commissioner's court is what we call it, very similar to what your city council We uh, it is on our webpage, so you can watch it. That used to that was one of my initiatives because you used to not be able to watch it. It was redesigning our webpage. It was making this information publicly available, so you didn't have to go to the county clerk and request a CD for a day that you think you might need to hear what's on the agenda. And that's
0: influenced by your background in technology. Yeah,
1: well, I think it really is just I would say. Or it
0: being 2019, that's something we ought to have.
1: We should have that, right? Because it's engagement and we're a very mobile, um, we're just a very mobile society. And even if I'm not able to get to a council meeting, um, I'm at my daughter's cheer practice with my earbuds listening to meetings, Right. right? Like we have to be engaged.
0: When you talk about the budget, give me a sense of what that budget covers in comparison to like a municipal budget. So if we're thinking about roads, if we're thinking about utilities and things like that, what what is that covering?
1: Yeah. So um, the primary uh, pieces of the budget are the judicial system. So our um, district courts building, our jail, our sheriff's um, division, those are the big hitters. That is probably top in the budget. And then you've got your fire protection um, a lot of people don't know, let's say there's a crime, right? and you're in the city and you call nine one one well, that that's your APD that comes out. You're out in the county. that's your sheriff's office right. that comes out. There's a fire out in the county now, In our county, we have very unique terrain. So when we think about fire trucks, they're not really like the fire trucks you see in city roads because we're often in off land and there's um, barbed wire out there. Like there's different um, skills that you need and there's different equipment that you need because of the amount of fire and how quickly with our winds. So when I think about maybe the top three, I would put judicial and the kind of the criminal side, which is a hard conversation. That's really not where you want taxpayer dollars to be spent. right? It takes an average of $52 a day to house an inmate. I ask a lot of questions about how do we prevent this because this is costing money down the road. And it always is a yin and a yang conversation because if you prevent it, it's not often, you can't prove it. Right, It's not we like numbers and metrics and you can't prove the people you've kept out of jail. You can just see the attrition going down. So um, kind of the top three would be your judicial criminal side and then your fire and, um, and, and your road and bridge and all the things you kind of think about.
0: Tell me about some of the ways you feel as a county commissioner that you've been able to serve your community in East Amarillo. So where are the places where... That authority and those needs kind of overlap.
1: I would say every day. I mean, it really does. Uh, there's not a really a clean line that you are—you're just mercy, the person, or you're just the, the county commissioner, right? So, yeah, it really does intersect. One of the things I hope I've done well is is work with your city council, especially you know we've had a couple of, of new council members, so we are very much tied together. What I what I like to do is educate people that especially when we pass our budgets, we're not in a bubble, right? We we pass an increase, the city passes an increase, the right. school can. So I keep saying we're one taxpayer at the end, and so they feel the impact of all of us kind of doing that simultaneously. But um, I would say what, what I hope I'm able to do is to be an aggressive advocate, to be a voice, to ask the hard questions. And a lot of my work has um, intersected with a lot of the local Kind of grassroots initiatives, and then maybe taking them to a, a broader audience to say, "Did you know these initiatives are already ha- happening, right?" And how do you amplify that? So a lot of my time is actually plugging in these initiatives with people that may have an interest in it, right? Like a little bit of a larger audience, citywide, because collectively we all benefit from that.
0: One of the things you know that, that Manny Perez was known for, in, in taking over his spot, you know, he was a champion of. Amarillo's Hispanic community mm-hmm. and the culture there and, and really seen as a leader. When you came in, did did you feel like, okay, these are the things Manny was doing. Mm-hmm. D- do I step into his shoes? I mean, did you feel like you needed to take a leadership position or that the community needed that kind of leadership?
1: Um, I think we always need leadership positions. And and whether um, you fulfill that role or not, I think that's in the eye of a, the of beholder, right? Um, one of the questions I got right out of the gate was, how will you fill his shoes? And, and I quite honestly said, that's not my job, right? My job is not, no one could fill his shoes. Um, my job is to continue that work. And so I always think about it uh, figuratively like a track race. And we work on whatever initiatives we believe, right? That skills that that God has given us and and we pour into it. And so our hope is that when we pass the baton to the next person, that they're gonna keep that same rigor and passion and not let someone lap you. Because then all of your work and your dedication and your sacrifice, because at the end of the day, this comes down to sacrifice often for people, time, money, family. This is all about, I call it sweat equity, right? The things that can't be measured. And so my goal, um, and I hope I've been successful in my seven years so far, is as continuing that race. Um, his wife Maida is I would call her a dear friend. We've stayed very connected over the years. And sometimes when I've wrestled with something and I didn't know the layers behind the scenes and the history, I would go have coffee with her and say, I mean, that was his spouse. You know, she certainly knows all yeah. the things he wrestled with, but I really haven't, I haven't put too much thought into that. I really have tried to stay very relevant with what are the issues today. And I think that's been, that's given me, um, maybe a cleaner lens because I didn't have that history and and background. And you just go until, you know, you don't know any different. You keep going and you're not afraid of peeling back those layers.
0: What are some of the issues in East Amarillo that need to be addressed now that we need to be looking at for the future? You know, I I know there's a lot of initiatives that Mm -hmm. are happening from the Mm -hmm. barrio um, and, and a lot of the places where we're trying to you know, look forward several years, yep. um, and and plan for how Amarillo is going to grow, how mm-hmm. we're going to continue serving people. So, what are some of those issues that that you're focused on looking to the future?
1: Development. <laughs> I'd put that with an exclamation part, exclamation point right behind it. Do I need it. to add
0: like a sound effect? I know, or something? right? And yes,
1: there needs to be a big drum roll and a and some a boom, laser sounds. Yes. Yeah, so, East Amarillo brings um, a very unique part of the conversation to what Amarillo looks like in the future. One of the things we've done, and I would say east and north, right? We collectively have a lot of the same issues, infrastructure issues, to be very honest with you. So it's one thing if if I were to approach you, Jason, and say, hey, do you want to build this over here? And you say, yeah, that seems like kind of fairly cheap land. Let me build over there. There's no infrastructure there. It's going to cost you 10 times more to build there, Right. So I think one of the needs, um, which definitely is not in the county lane, this is why our cross partnership, we're, we, we have to work together with your city, is getting uh, infrastructure ready to be successful. So I think a lot of times what I, what I have an appreci- a appreciation for that I didn't at the beginning is we spend so much time above the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like once, once the dirt is turned and there's something going and that's exciting and that, that definitely is, but there's so much work to get the below the ground ready to go, and if the below the ground doesn't happen, above the ground doesn't matter. Right. That's, That's just new to point. let listeners know. I
0: mean, you're you're talking about basic utilities, yeah, like sewer lines yes. and water and things that have been in place for years and years, mm-hmm. but maybe have not been updated as frequently because most of the development and growth in Amarillo has happened to the west, and southwest.
1: Yeah, and it always is the chicken or the egg conversation, right? Who do you wait for, the developer, or do you put the utilities and then help um, help prompt that? So one of the things, uh, one of the, the, the big initiatives that I'm, I'm very proud of is our neighborhood plans that we have started. And so just to tell you a quick story about that, so that is the city, the county and the city collectively came together and um, wanted to do a neighborhood plan. That's not new thinking, right? Uh, cities do this all the time, but it is very, it was and is still very new thinking for Amarillo, Texas. Right. And so we had the idea, I had the idea, and I went to, I went to pitch it to the city council and say... The county, luckily, my county commissioners um, went alongside and said, allow us $75,000 to take to the table to see if the city would match. And we would do a plan, a neighborhood plan was the original goal. Thankfully, I had um, three commissioners or three members of my court that said, yes, go. I always have a nay vote up there um, that says go. So it got cut the first time around in the city budget. It didn't make the cut. Uh, And so I went to the exec session. Uh, or I'm sorry, their working session and advocated for it and said we, you know, we really need to look at these neighborhoods, and we had four neighborhoods when we wanted to start it. North Heights, uh, Vario, San Jacinto, and Eastridge are the four. So right now in 2019, we're getting ready to launch the San Jacinto mm-hmm. one. And so it got passed and the first neighborhood plan was done. It was done in North Heights. That was adopted, I want to say, in 2017. The Vario was adopted in 2018. So they're both actively in their implementations. But what we found, which should, will be no surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, is the lack of infrastructure. Um, people, I think for the most part, want exciting things in their community. Everybody wants that. But I think for the most part, people want clean alleyways. They don't want a mattress thrown down the street. Um, they want good lighting and they want good roads. They want to be able to pull into their driveway, block their car and get in their house, right? Like things you take for granted. Right. They want nice sidewalks. So if you do want to go for a walk, you can do that. I I always describe, um, and maybe this is taken it down too granular, but I always describe people's governing strategy based on their drive route. Very few of us are groomed for this. We're just people really with an aspiration to serve. If you are groomed for this, you're probably moving up to the higher levels really quickly, uh, which won't make me a good politician at all, right? (laughs) But um, I always describe it as, I I think we tend to govern and we tend to think based on the way we drive home. If I drive home every day and there's new things happening, minus the construction, we're all ready to be right. done, of course, right? I'll take that out. But um I drive home and there's kids outside playing and I get to hang out and have a barbecue and feel safe. And there's I get to go for a walk at nine o'clock at night because I feel very safe in my neighborhood. Your perception of the city you live in is we are rocking and rolling. Like we are doing some things right. And we are. So I don't want to dismiss that. But if your perception in your drive route is um, there are people just randomly walking around the city and you don't know if they're dealing with mental health or drug issues or all the hard things of life. There's people tucked away in an alleyway. You're afraid to throw out your trash at a certain time of day. That's not your perception of the city that you live in. Right. So. I always describe it that I think people govern based on the way they drive home, like that simple.
0: I'd like to talk a little bit, you know, with with people who have heard about the North Heights neighborhood plan, the Barrio neighborhood plan. What do you hope to be accomplished by that, you know, in a few years beyond, beyond initial things like, like roads Mm -hmm. or sidewalks or lighting? What's the big general community engagement? Okay.
1: Community engagement um, at the forefront. So Councilman Demerson um, sponsored this with me at the time. And so we have a working session with the uh, city staff outside of the community piece of it to like get ready. And our goal, no no joke, first meeting was how do we weed ourselves out? This project is so important. It should not matter who sits in this seat, right? This can't be an elected official's pet project. Our first meeting is how do we weed ourselves out? How does this become part of the broader conversation for the capital planning? How do we, as your elected officials, help find the people in the community because we're the closest to it, right? We're governed, we we serve that those those people. How do we help bring those leaders forward? So more than anything, I think it's community engagement. It's the first citizen-driven. Um, initiative that has adopted or has amended the city's comprehensive plan so the city goes through their own strategic planning process but this is a citizen-driven plan fast forwards past that and allows them to revise it Mm -hmm. that's pretty unheard of right but i would say community engagement because what they're now watching is hey what's on that planning and zoning meeting hey what's happening with it so to be a part of the budget process on the county and the city side be vocal and be engaged, you know, just members of the community. Because if not us, then who, right? There's right. never a perfect time. I always think um, there. It, it's just the structure. We all get intimidated by microphones, by having to stand up there and say your name and address and all, all these dynamics of everybody watching you. Even if you're a polished speaker, you still get nervous doing that. It's not natural to anyone. So it's helping people even prepare for that. Practice going yeah. to a podium and speaking and looking at people and that, you know, it's those things that we don't even pay attention to, especially once you're used to it. There's so we we all get afraid of the unknown adults included.
0: And that's one of the things, you know, for, for people living in some of those neighborhoods that have lacked the development or that haven't seen the visual growth that other parts of town, they feel forgotten. They mm-hmm. feel like, well, the city has not given us anything. The County has not given us anything in years just that presence and that comfort in appearing in those places mm-hmm. um, is is a way to increase visibility and to keep those needs top of mind among the elected officials
1: yeah and in the barrio in particular a couple of the big projects um i would say uh just kind of out of the gate um we're obviously really close to downtown and so one of the things in motion that i hope you'll see in 2019 is a mural that's getting ready to go up under um, 10th street the 10th street underpass and so the thinking and this came from the barrio neighborhood plan is as you head um east that it would be, you know, welcome to the Vario and very culturally driven and, 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 you know, really kind of portray an image. And then as you head west, it would say, welcome to Center, Center City. Mm-hmm. And so um, that to me, the fact that that came from the community, it was just, it's such a small thing that you almost don't take notice. I certainly took notice because people had an opportunity to divide and they did not. And I think about it just like a circle very easily could have painted both sides that said, welcome to the barrio. And no one would have thought anything about right. it. But the community said, how do we be, how, how are we intentionally very inclusive? Right. And so that was like really just good for your soul. Sometimes you need conversations that are just good for your soul. That, that is exciting. That's coming.
0: And as an advocate of public art in Amarillo, I'm super excited Yay, about that.
1: Okay, good. And I think there's more of that to come. And then some of the other thinking is down 10th Street in particular, obviously dovetailing on some of the work is it's really brought to light the lack of lights, no pun intended, and sidewalk around. How do you complement the lighting that we all like to see downtown? How do you complement that, but not really copy that? One, right. because it's fiscally prohibitive, like there it's extremely expensive and that can't happen probably in neighborhoods. But how do you how are you in the same family? So um, when I think about that is w- when you think of the light post that gets picked, I mean, that all comes down to a per unit cost like we do for our own house. Right. Like how much is how much is that shampoo you like to it's all per unit. Right. And so that's coming. And and the the committee and on the North Heights, man, I'm encouraged because they're, it's tough. It's tough. You're really moving uphill. You're trying to introduce people to a topic that they're not used to having, like, quite honestly. And obviously, there's fiscal constraints, uh, and so it's important to to be at the table and having that voice. So I think to go back to answer your question, community engagement. Okay.
0: Before we close out this this first section, I want to jump back to your personal story. You mentioned that you know you were a first generation college student. Tell me tell me about your family. How did your family end up in this area in the first place? Oh, Do you know? that's
1: a good story. Okay, so um, my grandparents, um, I. I so my grandparents are near and dear to my heart. They have both now passed, but um, they owned a little restaurant across from the fairgrounds and it used to be called Annie's Drive-In. And so they would make gorditas and burritos. So anybody listening to this podcast that, that may know that, those were my grandparents. Uh, her name was Annie Garcia and his name was Abe Garcia. And he was a uh, yellow checker cab driver and they own a restaurant. And so I have five brothers and sisters. So there are six of us total. And um, we lived with my grandparents. Uh, they were always uh, they were just they were such such good entrepreneurs which at the time we didn't even know i didn't right. know that word right it was just that was our business that was what they did that's so after school we'd go work and um, during the summertime we'd go work and i was a little car hop out there and that it was very sonic style you would go out and i would take your order and so when i decided to run for office i remember knocking on doors saying i you know i need you to go vote and they would say Mihar, are you even old enough to vote yet? And I'm going, yes, I'm in my 30s, yeah. So they remembered me a lot by the car hop um, because I was, my, my grandparents were obviously very engaged in the church and in the community, and it's it's an area I grew up in. We all lived with my grandparents, and they were just known for housing people in the community that just were having a hard time. They would give them a job at the restaurant. And so I tell this story when I speak to high school and middle school students in particular I remember at one point counting there had to be 22 people living in wow. the house. And I say and it's not a big house, right? <laughs> so um it was just the way we grew up and I don't ever rem- I don't ever remember feeling poor, being without. Now as a grown up, we all like to put categories and buckets and and there's all these titles of living homeless and at risk and poverty and it kind of defines the people before they define themselves. Right. You know, we kind of accidentally put this um, vision on people's lives. so uh, but I grew up you know very loved and uh, I was the first one in my family that said I think I think I want to go to college and I didn't really have anyone to ask I didn't know anyone in college. I've always been a, I've always had a love for learning I read all the time, I research all the time. And um, I've always had a very inquisitive mind. If I could live on a college campus, like I would stay there forever, right? I just, I love the atmosphere. It's such, you just can't feel it anywhere else. It's like so much opportunity and hunger. Um, In Spanish, we call that ganas. Like it's just, it's in the pit of your stomach of like to do better, to do more. Anyway, I decided I wanted to go to college and um, I knew we couldn't afford to go. So I had to get scholarships And I, man, I worked uh, all the time. I was always very involved in things in the community. And um, I was my class president at Caprock High School. Imagine that. I was queen of Caprock, too. I had a little crown. My daughter still asked for it, but I don't know where it is anymore. I I, I always, now I tell my parents, I think I got so involved so I didn't have to work at the restaurant, is what I tell them now, right? It was my way out in the summertime. But I, I just have always believed in... And helping like organize that that's always just been in my skill set before you even knew, before you're old enough to even know what a skill set is, right? It's just, it's who you are. Part of it is probably because I have such a big family. And so I still am the one when we plan a big trip, they're mercy, where are we going? And I'll, I'll get boarding passes. And you have all these adults. We kind of joke about this story of everybody's boarding passes. They'll just yeah. give them to me because I'm all lose you're, them. You you're know? the mom of the, yeah. the whole family.
0: <laughs> tell me be- before we close, tell me about your constituents. Tell me yeah. about the people of Amarillo, the people of East Amarillo, if you want to, who are they and and what's important to them?
1: I would call them a family if I would have to describe them just, you know, in a very short manner. I would call them a family. I would call them ready and eager for something new, Um, ready and eager to be a viable part of this city. And I would call them engaged. I would say I've had the pleasure of having some amazing educators that have forever changed my life um one in particular miss white who was at caprock at the time and uh who i wouldn't be who i am without her just staying after school to fill out uh, college uh, letters of recommendation just things that people do supersede a job description and i think um People are not afraid to get their hands dirty, roll up their sleeves, and collectively help each other out as a person, as an an organization there. And I think the business is there. I would echo the same thing. So um, I would call everybody over there a family.
0: As I mentioned earlier, this episode is sponsored by Dr. Eddie Sauer's Dental Practice, Shimon Dental Group. And that sponsorship comes courtesy of my Patreon page. It's at patreon.com slash Amarillo. And it's a payment slash support community where individual listeners like you can help me keep making this show uh, by giving a small amount to the show on a monthly basis. Now, there's a bunch of different tiers there, uh, but one of the support tiers is what I call a sponsorship tier, and it's $100 a month. This gets you a monthly ad like you heard earlier for Dr. Sauer. It's an economical way and an ongoing way, month to month, for businesses like his to stay in front of my listeners and to support a local creative product that you believe in. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash That's Patreon with an E. Okay, I'm back with Mercy Mergia. Mercy, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. Okay. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in whatever degree of detail you want to.
1: No pressure. Yeah, no pressure at all,
0: though. (laughs) First one is, what's your favorite street in Amarillo?
1: 7th Street, because that's where I grew up. That's where my grandparents' house is. And to this day, it's the only um, picture I've ever taken as an elected official. The picture I stand in front of is an old house um, in East Amarillo. And it's not a polished pillar of anything and it's true to who I am. So 7th Street.
0: Okay. 7th Street covers a large part of Amarillo. East 7th. So, yeah, all right, East so 7th. E7, yes. That particular. Yes. Um, okay. It's close by Sanborn Elementary. Okay. Got it. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant?
1: Rancho Viejo on I-40 East because my uh, parents own it.
0: <laughs> okay. So you've got a, a, a little bit of bias there.
1: A little bit of bias. Yeah. But I, I frequent uh, uh, George at Tacos Garcia. You know, I frequent uh, the other Tacos Garcia on Amarillo Boulevard, which people um, don't often know is out there. One of the best menudo's out there, but
0: yeah. What's What's your favorite dish at your parents' restaurant?
1: So the gorditas um, is what you will hear famous because that's uh, from my grandma's recipe at Annie's Drive-In.
0: What does this area have too much of?
1: Politics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you as a politician, are you, oh, are no, you no, responsible for that? Oh, no, no, I'm not a politician. Okay. I'm a public servant. Oh, okay, okay.
1: <laughs> No, I would just say um, the various layers. And so I think what most people struggle with is, hey, I want to be an engaged member of my community. I don't know how to do that. And people always say, it's good to ask questions, be involved until they're the right questions and until they're around a group that maybe wants you to be quiet. So That's always an interesting balance that I fail at every day, right? I usually walk into a meeting and say, I made somebody mad. I'm sorry. I really do have an authentic heart, and we're trying to solve some really difficult problems. And we intentionally have a community breakfast. We call it Breakfast in the Barrio. And I do this with uh, Pastor Manny uh, de los Santos and Liz Rascón from the Wesley. And we have a, a monthly meeting with community leaders. And the very first thing I say in the meeting is, this is the meeting you'll be uncomfortable. This is not the warm and fuzzy. Everybody that's in that meeting is overbooked. We are here to talk about some hard things that you should leave here a little uncomfortable. And that's the goal.
0: What does this area not have enough of?
1: Voters. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think depending on the election, and this might be a fun fact, but uh, or not a fun fact, but East and North Amarillo turn out one to every six voter across town. So a lot of times people say, well, how come you don't see, you know, people from that side of town running for a higher office? And I authentically say because they can't win, right? I mean, it comes down to numbers and a per unit is a vote in that scenario. Um, I don't think that it is uh, apathy. I think that's a part of it. But I don't think that's all of it. I think that there is a culture of why does my vote matter, and mm-hmm. I think this is a statewide problem. This isn't unique to Amarillo, Texas, and it is a statewide problem in particular, even with minorities. And I think there is there is uh, there is some suppression about what is that vote, and I have felt that on a very local level. I have had people tell me they, being minority groups, will mm-hmm. start voting, and who knows what will happen, you know, in terms of this doomsday. Um, and so that's always hard to hear, right? Because I know people that want to be just as engaged. And so that's hard to hear. It's one of those things where it's easier to not talk about, but it's a very real thing. And I have felt that.
0: Maybe there's some apathy, but but other parts of it are either intimidation maybe yep. or discouragement because they see it as not mattering because they hear People saying, we don't we don't want that. Yeah,
1: and and often their candidate can't win, right? Because right. they may be won the person, but if collectively the group doesn't go out, I mean, one to every five to six vote, depending on right. the election. Now, obviously in presidential years, we vote at a higher pace, but midterms, which we have found that just mm-hmm. ended, um, have almost sometimes more of an effect. So it's really that. Your school board elections are coming up. Your city council elections are coming up. And so those are the ones that hit us kind of close to home. And um, we, so we certainly don't have enough voters.
0: How do you fix that?
1: I don't think it's... I think it's a multi-pronged thing. And I think we have to think about voting differently. I think some lo- voting laws need to change, quite honestly, in Texas um, to get that done, whether that will happen to in To make my, it easier, to, make to improve it easier, access, yeah. yeah, to make it easier. Um, Texas is a unique way that we handle voting. And, and there have been conversations like uh, people... I authentically think some people... Hold on to their seats based on the lack of voting. So if here you come aggressive and on the surface want to increase voters, which of course would be a no brainer, everybody would want that. Um, That could be threatening to someone that has held their seat for a while. And if you engage a new group. A, they have to be engaged back with the group to be able to be accountable to them. And I always think what's very frustrating for people, because I was that person, is you never only want to see your elected official when it's election time, right? So right. whenever we were doing our candidate forums, because I just came off of an election cycle and was unopposed this time, um, I, would, I would always say, I hope the fact that I'm running is a non-issue to you because you should see me as engaged whether I'm on the ballot or not. I just happen to be on this time, right? So that's my goal as an elected official, that it's a non-issue if you're on because you should be pretty engaged.
0: So we need more voters. All right. When was the last time you ate at the Big Texan?
1: Oh, I um Speaking so, of East Amarillo. Yeah, that's kind so of an that's a big one. There. Yes, so uh, the Big Texan, this is also a fun fact. That is in tiers 2, uh, the Tax Increment Reinvestment Zone 2. That's in that zone. So there that is slated for 100 million dollars of net new development, which would literally change Amarillo from that landscape. Right. Now, will it get done in my lifetime? I sure hope so. Um, we have to think about it very different because it's not organically set up for net new development, right? When we talk about utilities and those kind of things. So I actually frequent the big Texan often because they're in that zone. And so Bobby Lee and Danny are a part of the tiers two zone. So I, I actually frequent them often. Okay. And and got a back view into the kitchen and seeing them set up for a catering service. And man, that is a machine.
0: It is. <laughs> they serve so many hundreds of people, thousands of people every day that it's got to be an
1: efficient. Yeah. Place. And they have this Starlight Ranch, which right. um the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce did their Cinco de Mayo, Cinco de Mayo event last year and they're slated right. in 2019 over there. So I always I I personally love those things because unless you live and and frequent East Emerald, the I think the only time people kind of get over there is when it's the fair or a football game. Right. So this is another way to go. Man. Yeah.
0: And a lot of great events. A lot of good events. Starlight yeah,
1: they're doing so a good so job. Much.
0: Okay, I, I want to, uh, to try to identify you with a certain team in Amarillo-Pakisac or toot and totem?
1: Both. I go to both. Okay.
0: You're, you're not a dedicated customer <laughs> not, of either one then? I'm
1: or? not a dedicated or customer both. or, uh, yeah, I, uh, or, or both. Um, I, I really just go for gas. I'm not okay. really a convenience store. Whichever and, one you're,
0: you're closest yeah, to. Yeah, whichever. To... I know
1: it's really about efficiency from that perspective.
0: What's your favorite local coffee shop?
1: So I like Cliffside. Obviously, they opened a new one uh, on Street. You got a Street. Cliffside cut right cup, here. Yes. But I also like Roadsters. So um, depending, usually those are the two spots. But I have a lot of meetings at, uh, Burrito Stop, which okay. is downtown, and um, George Veloz from Tacos owns a Burrito Stop. But they, I think they just did a new partnership with Palace. So if I, that's probably as diverse as I could be, right? Yeah, so I, you've, you've, I like coffee.
0: True politician. You're, no, you've ever quit pleasing every different faction of coffee and emerald. But
1: I, I, um, I think it's. Heartwarming that they can all survive and thrive yeah. in a in a city like Amarillo. In a, like Amarillo, in a but they make each
0: other better. Yeah, and
1: they make each other better, which is um, what we all aspire to do.
0: How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area?
1: A mini metro. A lot of times, especially when I travel to Austin, I've been to DC this this last year to advocate for some things in Amarillo, and and actually met the vice president of the United right. States. So that was kind of neat. But I describe us as a mini metro uh, because we have so many counties that feed into us. So people look at the population of Amarillo that is pretty close to 200,000 now. And when when they look at traffic counts and things they're looking at for I-40 in particular, and we look at bringing new things here, um, we really use the footprint of the, the mini metro. So I wouldn't compare us to like a Dallas, right? But people do come into Amarillo to shop and um, to spend You know, their weekend with. And, and a lot of like obviously exciting things happening.
0: Well, that concludes the eight straight section of the podcast. Mercy, I like to end by asking my guests to endorse something. And so what is something that you would want listeners to know about, to participate in, to experience here in the area?
1: A couple of things, if I can. Maybe like three things. Go but I Okay. So first is Los Barrios de Amarillo. I'm very passionate about that organization. In a couple years, they're nearing their 50th anniversary. Okay. Um, I was a scholarship recipient. So I was the student that they invested in. So obviously, I would come full circle and help serve. And I'm on their executive team. And um, they host a conference called Step Up to Success. It's what they're, one of their flagships. So I would endorse them. And in um, scholarships, we, we gave away, I want to say, 48 scholarships this past year. Wow. Amy Taylor helped lead that effort. So I would endorse them. I would also like to maybe challenge whoever the listener may be, because I think we all are in a, a culture of, of being busy to be busy, and we sometimes we wear that almost like a little bit of a badge right. of honor. How are you? I'm good. I'm busy. It's how a way of
0: bragging about right. how. And so
1: people always say, oh, you're so busy. And my answer is we're all busy just doing different things that matter to us. I don't know anybody that's not actively engaged. So my, uh, my call or challenge to whoever this listener is is to find a way to plug into your community. And if you're not sure what that looks like for you, dabble in a few things, right? Like actively download uh, a council meeting, a, a a county commissioner meeting, actively engage, just show up in the audience. Um, because whoever is listening to this, I'm sure our leaders in our community, because you're taking time to listen to podcasts, right? Um, and you're looking for a way for your soul to be fed. And there is no better way I can think of than on the front lines. and um, And get your hands dirty a little bit, right? So- um, I would endorse any type of, of mentorship, in particular for our youth. They are our next generation, and we have to make sure they're equipped and understand the work that's been happening. And, and I go back to the uh, the analogy of your track race, right, that, that they can handle and be ready for this baton. We never want to be lapped. And um, so I would challenge the podcast listener to get engaged in their community and maybe
0: run for office. Mercy, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun.
0: Good. <laughs> and that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Mercy for clearing her busy schedule for our interview. Uh, thanks to Dr. Eddie Sauer, who, by the way, is on the Amarillo City Council, for supporting the show through Shim and Dindel, and to Reagan Wilcox for the recording space at Union Hall. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Neil Nossaman. Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Jennifer Callahan, Ryan Pennington, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Daniel Davis, and Wilson Lemieux. You, if you want to, can help produce the show too by visiting patreon.com slash Whatever you decide, if you go there or not, if you care about that or not, if you want to support the show financially or not, either way, I'm super thankful that you listen week to week. I really do appreciate that. And so many of you uh, are tuning into every episode, regardless of the guest. Thank you. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.